everybody, and welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I am Lena Ebujamra, and it is awesome to be back with you for another week. Man, I've been enjoying these podcasts. I've been meeting myself, some new people, and getting to know stories of people that I've known for some time. And we've got a few weeks of uh, really exciting conversations coming up. Uh, if you've been following the ministry at all, you know that there's tons of resources for you at livingwithpower.org. We also have an app. Uh, you can catch up on all the past podcasts, but today we are going to talk with uh, a girl or a lady, or however you <laughs> call a woman, who is incredible. I uh, met her through a common friend and really uh, got to know her pretty quickly because our paths connected in Lebanon. And I want to talk about hope for the next generation and want to hit up the conversation about millennials. Annika Greco is a millennial and she's going to just rivet you with her story. Uh, she is currently a missionary, basically lives and works in Lebanon for Youth for Christ. She's going to tell us a little bit about what she does, but more importantly, how she got there. Uh, this gal is something. She has an undergrad in two things from the University of Oregon. One is journalism and communication, and the other one is romance languages, which y'all know I am z- zilch in, so she needs to teach me a few things about that. And uh, uh, a master's from the University of Gothenburg in international administration and global government. So she could have done anything, and instead she has given her life uh, to serve refugees. And so, Annika, it is so awesome to have you with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So where are you right now? Basic question. Yes. Well, I am currently in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I am working for three months at Lexington Christian Academy um, as a Spanish high school teacher. (laughs) Well, and so, yeah, I mean, I was teasing a bit about Romance Languages, but what exactly is that? Right. So Romance Languages is basically the family languages that encompasses like French, uh, Spanish, Italian, like the Latin-based languages. And so you speak those? Uh, I don't speak all of them, but I do speak Spanish, and I did study Italian, though I don't speak it nearly as well because <laughs> I haven't used it. Because you college, college, but the, the masters you got in Sweden, do you speak Swedish? I do speak Swedish. Uh, my mother is from Sweden, so I was uh, raised bilingual. And, and your Arabic is that? Uh, the Arabic is, is mostly non-existent. <laughs> well, <laughs> all my work is in English, so like I've learned some some things in Arabic, but just Everybody not enough. Everybody there speaks, speaks English, right? I mean, so it's like and, yeah, and people in Lebanon are incredibly good at English, and so I've just not needed to learn. I've not been forced, and so I just haven't. What a shame! What a shame! I tell my <sighs> been so diligent. I'm like, I can't believe no one in our family is carrying the legacy. But uh, <laughs> you have a, I mean, you are living an atypical life in some ways. I mean, I mean. You are a millennial. You're in your 30s, mm-hmm. early 30s, and um, we hear about millennials really being very socially aware. So in some ways, you're doing exactly what maybe we expect millennials to do, but but not really. So maybe let's do this. Tell me a little bit about your formative years, because you did have an unusual upbringing. You're a missionary kid. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a missionary kid. I would say I'm a ministry kid. So uh, both of my parents have been on full-time ministry my whole life. In various contexts, they've taught at Bible colleges, and then they've done um, a traveling ministry where they taught uh, like workshops and at conferences on worship mm. uh, and worship leadership and ministry and that kind of thing. Uh, and then back to Bible college setting. So yeah, it's been a lot of that. And then also we did some traveling in the summers, doing missions trips in Southern Europe mostly. Now, I thought they were based in Europe, though, right now. Is that They new? are currently, yeah. So my parents are both, they live in southern Spain, and they pastor a church that they started about 11 years ago. 
Brutal, man. Brutal. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> terrible place to have parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And so, uh, and so, but you're, adult, they moved there in your adult years? Is no, it, so they moved there just before I graduated from University of Oregon. So about 2007, at the okay. start of 2007. Yeah. But now you, so tell me a bit about your personal relationship with Jesus. Did you grow up turned off by the faith because of being in this setting or on the, on the opposite side of the spectrum? I was really privileged, I think, or fortunate in the sense that I never really struggled with my faith because I know a lot of people who grow up in Christian homes or missionary homes, pastors, kids, etc. Um, and many of them really struggle and some of them walk away from the Lord. Uh, I never had that kind of situation. Uh, I gave my life to Jesus when I was really little. I think it was like three. Um, and then it just, it was such a natural part of my, my life and my growing up years. Uh, but I think I would say that what really cinched it for me, where my faith became really real for the first time, was mm-hmm. when I lived in Argentina for a year as an exchange student during my junior year of high school. And mm-hmm. that was just a very rough year for a lot of reasons. But primarily, it was just experienced tremendous loneliness and tremendous just like not rejection, but just a lot of uh, opposition. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry, what? You didn't fit in. Did you feel like? I mean, I fit in 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 some ways and I didn't fit in in other ways. And so it was really just struggling to figure out uh, in relation with people, like who are the people who are going to be my genuine friends and who are the ones who are going to stab me in the back? (laughs) It was was sort of like that kind of social layout that I was learning to navigate. And so I really, I, I really had to turn to the Lord because I didn't really have anybody else. You know, my parents weren't in Argentina. They were back home in the States. Um, I had to just sort of deal with all of that on my own. Right. And so I really just started reading the Bible a lot and the Old Testament. And um, I would say that's really when, for the first time, the Lord really became my Lord and my shelter and my refuge. So, Mm. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. You were pretty young. Now, you ended up going to the University of Oregon, which is interesting because it's sort of a very, I think of Oregon as sort of the non-Christian state, if you, which maybe, yeah. <laughs> right? Because I do hear there's a lot of Christians that live in Oregon. Oh, but like tons of Christians, but it is relatively unchurched, yeah. Right, you know, and so you, of course, you now you're, you know, you come from a Christian background, you are solid in the faith by the time you get to college. How did you, tell us a bit, I mean, we do want to get into the heart of a millennial, like, Who's a Christian? Like, were you? Did you go to church, or had you said, "No, I don't need church"? I mean, like, tell us about how you stood your ground in the faith. Not so much arguing with people about the faith, but even your own faith. How did you make it through college? Yeah. Um, well, I was lucky to find a really good church while I was in college. It took me a little bit. You know, I attended a couple different churches just to kind of see, you know, if I could feel at home there and it didn't really but then uh, it was just through some people that I knew I don't remember exactly how but I was introduced to this church that was kind of out in the countryside and um, got connected with some people who could give me rides and started attending and it was a really great church and so it was like very alive you know dynamic worship really awesome preaching deep teaching Um, the pastors are really kind of prophetically gifted so there was just a lot of 
um, it helped, yeah. Yeah, it was just a but lot of stuff that was like convicting. Just, like you felt like you left church yeah. being convicted, <laughs> like being exhorted to press into God. <laughs> um, the millennials get a bad rep. I mean, all of the talk about, you know, they don't care about God, they don't go to church, or they're spiritual but not churchgoers. Right. I mean, what did you see in college? And uh, were you the exception to the rule, or is it all talk? I think I might have been the exception to the rule. Uh, but I think I was already. And, and enough aware that I really needed the Lord in my life. Um, so by the time that I did get to college, it, you know, I had really, that was a conviction in my heart that I don't want to live apart from God. Um, so that wasn't really difficult for me. I did, I do tend to be sort of a self-initiator. So like, I know what, you know, I know that I need to be part of a church community, um, I know what it's like to not be in a community and then just see how my behavior and my thinking starts changing. <laughs> you know, um, So I had already experienced enough to realize like, I do need to just stay serious and stay grounded and, and planted in a church and, and with Christian community. So I think I might've yeah. been the exception to the rule. Yeah. Do you feel like you made a lot of Christian friends or, or forget that? Did you, have, did you have a lot of Christian conversations in college about Jesus? I mean, do you find that there was an interest in, and what you believed or any persecution at all? Uh, well, I do remember just, yeah, I, I wasn't really um, engaging that much with kind of the larger classroom settings. Like I was just sort of one to like go to class and just do my work, listen to the lecture. <laughs> but in the, in the smaller classroom settings, like there would be times when the students would just, uh, you know, start discussing or debating something. And it was... I I kind of tend to stay quiet unless I'm very sure of what I want to say. Mm-hmm. And so I um I did realize that I was very I had a very different worldview from just about everybody else in the room. <laughs> um so and I I I I do want to admit that I'm not the most courageous person to kind of delve into that kind of heated debate scenario cuz often I even though I am very sure of what I believe, I feel like I kind of don't have enough presence of mind to really put my thoughts together in an orderly way in the moment. You know, I'm kind of a person who needs to kind of distant, like, you know, put some distance between me and the situation, think about it, formulate my thoughts and then go back in. Uh, So I don't remember really engaging in deep debate with people around me. Um, But I do remember Mm -hmm. just being privy to those conversations and thinking, oh my gosh, like people think so differently about things. And I, I, you know, I, I, I would feel like if I were to say something, like they would immediately just start being antagonistic, you know, just like the moment I would say that, oh, I'm a Christian, you know, they would just be like, oh my gosh, you have nothing to say to this conversation. <laughs> you know? um, well, now, interestingly, because, and I like that honesty. I mean, I think everybody sometimes think, assumes Christians assume that you have to always, I mean, the Bible says you always have to have an answer, but I don't think it means in every conversation. I think right. it means like, you know, but but it is it is awesome to hear. Like you don't have to be a part of every conversation until you formulated your views, and sort of this freedom that comes with acknowledging. Like if I have something to say, I'll say it, yeah. and if not, I'll wait for the Lord to create relationship or some opportunity to be able to speak truth where it's needed. Yeah, I do remember. Uh, this was the summer of two thousand six. I spent five weeks in Ghana doing an internship, and we were. It was a group of. I think we were twelve people from the journalism school, and that was the first time I felt like I was really being an evangelist because um, none of the other people in the group were believers. I was the only one, but and I wasn't. Um, 
like I, I wasn't telling people that I was a Christian, but you know, yeah. like a, a couple weeks into, we were all living in the same house, you know, so we're all like up in each other's business. <laughs> and yeah. so uh, a couple weeks into our five week stay, like they were starting to make comments like, oh, you seem like, you know, you're like, you're one of the good girls, it seems like, right? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, I am a Christian. And so I, I do things a little bit differently, <laughs> you know, but it was just like, it was such, that was such an open uh, conversation where I felt for the first time, like I had more preached my faith by action and by just by living it out by just being who I was rather than talking about it. And they were noticing. And so then they were asking the questions and they were initiating the conversation. And I was just able to then respond and be open with my faith and just say, Hey, this is what I believe. Um, And that was, that was such a freeing feeling. Cause I, I remember thinking, I don't have to like be the one shouting from the corner. uh, Jesus loves you. You know, it's like I, in relationship with people, I can, I can just be who I am, maintain my integrity, um, and just be secure in, in my faith with the Lord and people are going to notice and they will ask questions and they will be the ones to, to really approach or like bring up the topic. And then there's freedom to talk, you know, there's just less of that immediate antagonism. Right. Yeah. Now, interest, interestingly, though, I mean, you have opinions, even though you might not speak them up in class and you think about them and a couple of your articles have made it into Relevant Magazine. And mm-hmm. I remember my first hearing, somehow I, I had your aunt, I think your relative, yeah. who was in a writer's group I'm in. I, somehow I had a connection about you, but but I had read an article. And I remember by the time like I put one and one together, I was like, oh, she's the one who read that article. And there were a couple of articles that I thought were very well written. So you certainly have thoughts about really this was more related to Christians and the church. Mm-hmm. What is your take as a millennial? I mean, if you were to either critique or commend the church, because you had a great church experience, it sounds like in general in college and, um, and growing up, but like, but, but there are some things happening in the church world, evangelicalism, a lot of people are leaving, you know, et cetera. I mean, what, what is your take on the state of affairs in the church as it relates to your generation? Oh, that's a huge topic. And yes, I do have opinions about this. Um, I think that what I see that really grieves me the most is I, I feel like we have so commodified the God experience um, that we start pursuing ways of selling it to people and trying to be attractive to people so that they will come and then they will consume what we are consuming and what we are selling that it's, it's, it's become this marketplace, you know, do you think people buy, I mean, there, you do hear of churches that are growing, like the cool churches are growing immensely. Do you think there's heart change? I mean, nobody can judge hearts, but do you think the world, like people who don't believe in Jesus come and go, wow, I really want to be part of that. Maybe even because of what they think they might get in terms of blessing, or is there a true? I mean, what what happens? When- well, I'm sure that different people's experiences are very different. So I I, I hesitate to generalize, but I um, but I think that I mean people are you know sincerely searching for something that's authentic that's going to be life transformational, you know, um, yeah. and I think that you know if a person is searching and they're coming to a church where there's really lively worship and the people are really friendly and the preaching is fun and engaging and still, you know, good. Um, initially that's really attractive and you kind of want to, you want more of that. And so maybe you decide like, Oh yeah, like I'm going to try this, this church thing out, this God thing out. Um, but I think eventually you just kind of realize that the, the, the Christian faith 
really forces you to change. Yeah. It really forces you to question your worldview. It really forces you to rethink um, everything from the foundation up, like everything from the heart outwards. And that is really hard. And so if we want to engage with the Lord kind of from the perspective of what he's going to do in my life and how, um, you know, what he, like, it's, I just find that Christianity today is just very narcissistic. You know, we're looking for what God is going to do for us, but really he's already done it all for us. And he asks us to lay down our lives. Like, so we need to start thinking differently. What does that mean to lay down my life? What does it mean to die to myself? Um, That's not, that doesn't mean like, let's just walk around and in a poverty mentality and, and suffer on purpose. <laughs> you know, It just right. means like, Oh, well, maybe I have to rethink my life plan completely. Let go of the reins of my life and do something right. that I had not planned on. You know, it's just, that can take on a whole different, you know, like, well, and I think it's sort of into what you're doing now. And I want to tie in sort of the articles because the second or one of the articles, I don't know which you wrote first, but one of the ones I read that really struck me, as perfect was it's time to stop confusing blessings with stuff, which mm. I commented on back in the blogging days a lot and written about and some of my books, I addressed that. And I felt like at, for you to write that. And I say it really, because I know you weren't super young when you wrote it, but at your age, I think that mm. you're in the middle of, you've got a master's, you've got a great, you know, great education. You could do anything. Yeah. And so and it sort of, sort of ties into this conversation. Like, I think there's sort of this moment where you realize like, oh, wait, Jesus isn't there. And I, I still struggle with this. Like, he's not there to give me my wish list, right? And it's like the extension of laying down your wish list to understand that he is the the, the deal. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I think now, so you play it, so you write the article, but then you're also living it. So what motivated you to work with refugees and sort of not to pursue the traditional career path that might've landed you a job where you're making good money and not having to ask people for donations, et cetera? Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that is a good question. <laughs> um, I, I think the Lord just sort of built me to have this inner restlessness. Uh, and so I credit that to what has kept me um, moving and kind of kept me open to new experiences and what where the Lord would, might want to place me to be useful. Uh, so um, I love to travel. And so I, as soon as I left college, I moved to Spain because my parents had just moved there. And so I joined them for uh, what I thought was going to be a couple of years. And um and I had my whole life like planned out, you know, I was going to spend a couple of years in Spain. I was going to pay off my college loans and then I was going to move to Sweden and get a master's degree. And then I was going to um, get a position within the United Nations and work my up, my way up and eventually just become the secretary general. Of the UN. <laughs> like, that was my life plan. Like, you know, so I had a very clear goal in mind and then really the Lord just took me through like a, 10 year process of stripping away all of my ideas and assumptions about my life um, and bringing me into a place where I literally had to just start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was forced to acknowledge that all of the ideas that I had from my life hadn't worked out. <laughs> and so at one point, I remember at one point, um, I just told the Lord, okay, I've hit rock bottom. I'm needing to start like building my life from scratch almost. 
I am really going to lay down the reins and I'm going to give them to you. From now on, you get to decide what you want to do with my life. And I'll go wherever you send me. Um, And so from that point, things started happening where, you know, God started just bringing things together, arranging things, bringing people into my life, bringing me to different places and connecting me with different people in ways that I would never have been able to arrange myself. And so like, as soon as I was just hands off and I'm letting, I'm relinquishing control of my life, which was really hard because I'm a natural control freak. (laughs) Like I like to have a plan. I like to be in control of it. Um, But once I just really did give up control, I saw how God was bringing so much blessing into my life. And it wasn't necessarily stuff. It wasn't like, oh, here's this gorgeous house you get to live in and this fabulous car you get to drive and all the, like none of that. I've lived fairly simply for a long time, but it was just uh, richness and blessing in relationships and experiences and just different settings that God would put me in that I'm like, I am the least qualified person in this room. And somehow (laughs) I know that I'm supposed to be here. Like, how did that happen? And that's happened several times, you know? So like that to me is very, that is just blessing. That is God's blessing. That's God's abundance. That's just prosperity in the sense of like, I don't need to know where the next step is going to take me or where I'm going to go. But I just know that God has it in control and he's allowing me to have these wonderful experiences that are so life-giving to me and bring me so much joy. Um, and so like what, you know, in this road, so the practical playing out of it, like, did you feel any pressure? I mean, your parents sound like they're pretty like Christian, you know, as mm-hmm. such, but were they like, Annika, you need to get a job, get a house, like get your life together or were they free to do whatever, you know, like you're still, you're, yeah. you know, you're like in your thirties and you're, you really are like, from a, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. yeah you'd um. be like, <laughs> but not really but like you know like it's crazy your life and so do you feel a societal pressure to conform to certain rules um I often feel that in comparison to my friends from high school that like I'm still just trying to figure it out (laughs) um maybe before we get to that like kind of yeah walk us through because for people to understand what I'm talking about like so did the refugees phase into your brain then or when did you start realizing there's something here Oh, right. Okay. So I forgot that part of the question. <laughs> right. So what brought me no, to Beirut? Ask. You're doing great. <laughs> right. Uh, what brought me to Beirut was I was finishing up my master's degree in Sweden and I felt like my time was up in Sweden. And I'd had such a wonderful season where I was teaching high school and just, it was just this wonderful, wonderful season. But I just sensed that it was coming to a close and I needed to move on. And so at that time, um, I also felt kind of arrested by this idea that I needed to go to the Middle East. And at that point, I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> I was like, um, I don't speak Arabic. I'm not a nurse. Like, what am I going to go do? Like, how am I going to be useful? Uh, but I was like, okay, Lord, this, you know, you've done this before where you've planted seeds of, you know, ideas in my mind. And so if this is you, then I'll trust you to work it out. Cause I don't know how I could do this myself. So it was just two months later where I crossed paths with the uh, national director of Youth for Christ, Lebanon. He and I had a 45-minute conversation at this conference, and um, he told me his testimony about the work that YFC is doing in uh, really pursuing reconciliation between uh, Syrian youth and Lebanese youth um, Mm. in this context of, you know, Lebanon being a small country, housing so many refugees from Syria, um, and kind of all of 
the socio socioeconomic geopolitical con- you know all of those elements that were new yeah. to me that I had not known before um that was a very interesting story to me and so that perked my interest and I was like oh I would love to go see what you guys are doing you know firsthand just experience it a little bit observe it um so I ended up going to Beirut for eight weeks in the summer mm. of 2016 wow and um and at that point, I was still on this, you know, mental trajectory that, okay, now I have my master's. Now I'm really going to go get that NGO job. <laughs> you know? I was applying to all kinds of different NGOs in the States and in Europe, and nothing was panning out. And I was growing frustrated because I was like, Lord, I have nowhere to go after I graduate, you know, from grad school. And like, the only thing I know I'm, sp- I'm doing this summer is I'm going to Beirut. And after that, I have no idea where I'm supposed to go. Right. So, um, but it was while I was there in Beirut that first time that the Lord showed me that he wanted me to be in Beirut um, and fill this particular position within YFC that was needed that I could fill. You know, I had the skills to mm-hmm. fill it. Um, and I had always said, you know, Lord, I never want to be a missionary. <laughs> um, send me anywhere in the world. I will go. You know, I will go. But I want to be paid. <laughs> you know, I want to have right. a salary job. I don't want to have to raise my own funds. And um, yeah, <laughs> so that worked out. Not out Of course, ironically and typically, this is exactly what the Lord was like, yep, this is what I want you to do. I want you to raise funds and I want you to go to Beirut and I want you to be there for a season and work as, you know, kind of as a missionary status kind of thing. So I was like, okay, fine. (laughs) And it's been wonderful. Again, it's just been such a blessed season. Um, The work that YSC is doing with, you know, among youth in Lebanon of all different backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, faith backgrounds, um, different socioeconomic classes. It's just amazing to me. It's kingdom. It is kingdom work. And so, it was it what you expect, like in what ways was it better than you expected? Like what's happening there? What surprised you about like what God's doing in the Middle East right now? Um, I don't know if I'm surprised by anything. I think it's just, I'm excited about it. You know, I, um, just seeing how the Lord is constantly challenging his church to act counterculturally. Um, so, you know, in a country or in a setting, in a context where there's just a lot of enmity, enmity between people groups um, that's, you know, stem from legitimate historic yeah. you know, resentments. Um, and just seeing how God is saying, no, I want you to be countercultural and I want you to love your enemy. And, you know, we talk about that. Like in the Western church, you know, we read the Bible stories, the Good Samaritan. And yeah, it's like, yeah, the Lord wants us to love our enemy. But I think it's in, you know, context like in the Middle East um, where that really comes to a head. And you're like, oh, <laughs> like yeah. I actually have to love my enemy who is, you know, maybe from the country or the group of people that killed relatives of mine. Like that just brings it really to a head in a way that I think Western Christians just don't experience. Um, have you uh, felt like, like, have you, you work with a lot of Lebanese people that serve the Syrians or is it a mix? Like how, what's the group like, give us a bit of a flavor it's a mix. So uh, I would, the YFC staff is about one third Lebanese 
uh, one third foreigners, <laughs> um, yeah. and then one third uh, neighbors. Right. I have to be a bit careful of how I how I say this. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a it's a mixed group. Is that, like, how many people work there? Like twenty. We're about twenty four. Twenty four right now. Yeah. Um, and it's a parachurch organization, right? So it's not like recruiting people from the local church per se, or no, yeah. Have- so we're a parachurch organization in the sense that we work alongside the local church. Um, okay. So we work to, in addition to just um, holistic outreach ministry to um, at-risk youth and and refugee youth. Um, so you do like like Thursday night programs for them. Like what what do you guys do? Yeah, so there are four different departments of ministry. So one of them is uh, we do outreach to Syrian youth living in the Bekaa Valley, which is in East Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do a sports ministry with the boys and and uh, sewing and arts and crafts with the girls. They're learning how to make things that they can sell and earn some money for their families. Um, and then uh, we have a youth center called Manara Youth Center in Bush Hamoud, which is a district in Beirut. It's a pretty rough district. A lot of um, people from different ethnic and you know religious backgrounds mm-hmm. that traditionally don't get along, um, mm-hmm. but they have this common denominator of, of just being socioeconomically poor. Uh, so we have a holistic outreach ministry to them where we uh, offer non-formal education programs and reconciliation, psychosocial support. Uh, we have spiritual uh, programs every week, like Friday clubs, where we um, invite the youth to come and we talk about who God is and what it means to have a relationship with Him. Um, mm. And how many people show up to that? Like ten? Oh no! Like it, it's usually about eighty, maybe eighty kids, seventy kids. It wow. depends. Um, yeah, we have like a flow of, of about two hundred youth that come to the center on a weekly basis, but like it's all different youth. Like they come to either pro- the different programs or the um, tutoring classes that we give, mm-hmm. the non formal education. Like there's just a you know steady flow of all different kinds of kids. But yeah. um, so that is proving to be a really tremendous ministry to this community because we're offering hope and we're bringing people together. Right. So the ultimate goal is to reconcile youth uh, to God and to each other. Um, and showing that, you know, we don't have to hate our neighbors just because we've been taught that by our parents or grandparents. You know, it's like we can choose a different way. We can choose. You feel like the people who show up, when you talk to the youth, do you feel like they take it for granted now that there's foreigners and people to help them? Or are they stunned by like what the fact that, that people are doing this and showing, you know what I mean? Like, what's the reaction? Is there fear and, and guardedness? Or is it more like, wow, I'm just so grateful. Like, like I would imagine it would be hard to be on the receiving end of all this as well. Yeah, I think, well, because a lot of these youth have experienced a lot of uh, trauma. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're from very broken backgrounds. And so yeah. there is that initial uh, distrust. So the, our staff at the center are all Arabic speakers. You know, they're locals. Um, and uh, that's on purpose because... Language yeah. obviously is is an issue. So these kids, you know, most of them don't speak any English at all, um, and it it has taken time to build trust. You know, mm-hmm. um, but they, you know, so many of them will say like, "This is the the only place or the first place that we've ever experienced this kind of love." <laughs> you know, this kind of love and acceptance, um, and so that's taken time to build, but it's really starting to pay off. 
Yeah. Um, we are. Do you interact with kids a bit or do you do mostly like tell us about your work? Yeah. So my particular work is I, um, I'm the assistant to the national director and I help him um, fundraise basically would be the short way of saying it. So I um, do all so of you the, have to do the double whammy. Like you have to fundraise for youth for Christ, but then you have to raise your own support. That's like, yeah. um, so my, my part of that fundraising is mostly the written communication. Got it. So I do all the donor relations in the sense that I, um, I write project proposals and grant applications and, project reports to all of these different partnering foundations and churches that we work with. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, I mean, that's a lot of just written communication, which is kind of more my specialty and and the way that I can be useful in this setting. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's, I find it very fulfilling because it's just storytelling, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just telling the story of what YFC is doing and, and, and the impact that, these youth are experiencing of how they're, you know, just encountering God in different ways um, Mm -hmm. and telling that story to two different foundations and churches that then partner with us. So it's, it's fulfilling. It's really fulfilling. Do you fear like, like right now, I know I get your letters and like, you you, like part of why you're working in the U S right now is it partly to, was it just a, like you needed to get away or was it fundraising? Like what, you know, do you get nervous about raising the funds or what happens if you don't get enough to live there? Yeah, I uh, well, this is, uh, I think, every self-supported missionary's anxiety <laughs> um, is it is hard to fundraise. It is really hard to, I mean, it's not hard to tell the story and it's not hard to interest people in what you're doing, but it is hard to um, just yeah. get people to follow through, you know? Um, and so it's a lot of just trusting God <laughs> to, yeah. to, you know, he he's ultimately the one who has to move upon people's hearts to to get involved um but yeah so i'm here this is just to to earn some some funds in order for me to continue on in lebanon um because i've now committed to a third year and mm. so uh there was some anxiety about finances because i realized like i just don't have enough right now to kind of sustain yeah. all the way through. So, so this was, this was a great provision that the Lord just opened the door for me to come and teach for a few months. Um, well, it's funny because I do think there is a social awareness in the Christian church in the United States, it, like to talk about stuff. Everybody wants to do, you know, you hear mm-hmm. the word social justice, and, but when really there's, it's different between talking and acting, right? I yeah. mean, I still find that there's a gap um, where when you think about how many people live in the U S and some of the disparity, like when you look at the way that wealth is even, and I'm talking now within the church communities and how, you know, like you hear, I mean, I don't want to, you know, be, but like you'll hear what people get to speak and to show up and do an American conference. And you're like, why? like, like it's shocking where like, here's a 30 something year old who has given her life to go live in Lebanon. And you're worried about like, you're asking people $25 donations. Like it's yeah. just so- unfair is that does that make you mad or do you or is that part of the deal because really we shouldn't be surprised is that what we should expect when you look at the story of christ and the bible and the gospels i mean how do you how do you process all of that um it's a little bit difficult because on the one hand i don't want to grow resentful toward yeah. people you know i it's a little bit of a struggle, you know, when you, when I do meet with people and I'm like, this is what I'm doing. This is what's important or like why it's important. This is what God is doing. And they're like, oh my gosh, yes, I want to support you. And you're like, awesome. And then they never follow through. Like that is a real 
frustration, but I don't want to grow resentful. I, um, and so I try, this is a constant reminding, okay, you know, Annika, just let it go. (laughs) You know, your provision is God. God is the one who provides for you. And so, um, it's a constant back and forth, honestly, because it is frustrating. And it's just, it, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's frustrating to see how people live here and see what people spend their money on. And mm-hmm. I'm often just, I catch myself thinking like, really, you're going to spend money on that when it's just so easy to just give $25 a month to a missionary. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, that's- I, know, I know it is, it is convicting. And it's like, I don't know where you draw the line, but I think that that is, that is a, I don't think we can shy away from this reality. Like, we have to, as a church community, think, rethink the way that we do our daily lives. And I think, um, I just think that's one of the curses of the American church right now is this love of material things. I really, yeah, think I really do think church. that we've been so prosperous and so comfortable for so long, you know, that we have just lost a connection to really what our money is for. Um right. And, and I'm not saying, I mean, please well, like, hear yeah. me. <laughs> We're not saying go walk in ashes and sackcloth. No, like, absolutely not. I would never. Like, <laughs> most churches now don't even have like a missionary budget. Like they're, they analyze missions in like context of building local churches. It's all good. But it's like, again, you just, and, and by the way, there are so many generous people in the world. Oh, I, absolutely. I, just, yeah. I just, you go back to this thought of when they look at like, the, well, I mean, a, a good example, like the, the cathedral burns in, in France and like billions are raised and you're like, wait, you know, why don't we do that for other yeah, people? Yeah. This, like know. there's so much money in the world. There's so much wealth. Like there, there should never be a shortage of anything for any project, right. you know, it's just, it's right. so unequally distributed and it is really frustrating. Um, well, and maybe that's part of the brokenness of the world, but I think so. Yeah, I feel in my gut sometimes like the church ought to do better because we know better. Like we, and this is, I think, the reality of like living a, like I think this is a great tension in for the American Christian, which I consider. I go to the Middle East, but really I think like an American, and I catch myself sometimes like, wait, why did I just spend that? And I think we have to be more cognizant of that in our daily accountability, our daily communication, prayer life, and then sort of look for intentionally look for opportunities to help others. I was really, honestly, this weekend, I had I had such a testimony of that. My tire blew out. I put a picture on social media. It really moved everybody because this black, poor couple pulled over to help me. Nobody else did. I was uh, on the side of the few minutes waiting for um, the guy to whoever I called, AAA or whoever it was late. And people honked at me. I was in the way. And this couple comes and they helped me and they're old, a little older. So the whole thing was shocking. But uh, then they stay with me to get to the trier place and, and on and on and on, expecting nothing. And uh, but then this, I was behind them going to the tire place and we're stopped at a stoplight. And one of those beggar people with the signs that say, feed me, you know, I'm homeless, mm-hmm. comes by and, and like, I don't, you know, I try not to look because I don't know what to do in those awkward moments. Yeah, yeah. And in front of me who just helped me with the tire, um, opened their window and gave them some money and the loose change in the car. And I was like, I just watched that and I thought, Lena, you got a lot of ways to go. And I, I just felt like God was just speaking a lesson to me in that moment. And I think that's what I'm talking about. And, you know, and this couple, by the way, when they got out of the car, the first thought I had was not they were Christians. In fact, my first thought was they smelled like they smoke a pack a day. Mm. Um, in conversation, it was evident that they had Christian roots. In fact, the woman ended up praying with me and and uh, just really prayed over me at the end. I'm sure she's not leading a small group, and yet she showed me more what it means to be like Jesus than anybody else has yeah. in a long time. 
So I just think this is what I'm talking about. And I think you live in there. I just think it's like, that's what, I think that's what you're saying. It's not, I don't care how big your house is or how, you know, live comfortable you live, but are you waking up thinking, okay, Lord, what do you want to do with yeah. the resources? given us this it really is just seeking the kingdom first that's that's the constant like question like am i going to seek the kingdom first today what ways can i do that what do you do this is the hope podcast so yeah in those moments when you may be feeling a little hopeless or you want to kind of recheck your heart Mm -hmm. what are some practices that have been helpful to you so that you don't get into a pit of worry or anger or yeah that's a great question because i'm not going to lie i do fall into these little head spaces sometimes um I remind myself, I go back and just remind myself of all the ways that God has provided for me up until now, because there have been some incredible situations and ways that the Lord's opened doors, um, has connected me with people or has just provided for my financial needs or whatever need I had. Um, And I just remind myself, like, Annika, the Lord has never failed in providing with what you need in every moment. So he's not going to stop. He's not going to start failing. You know, he's not going to just stop doing that. He's, he's going to keep going. He's going to keep providing for you. You just need to trust and get over yourself. (laughs) So, yeah. So that's kind of the mental exercise I do. I just remind myself of all the times the Lord's provided for me and it just builds my faith again. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to let it go. I'm not going to worry about it. Do you have a mentor, somebody who you can turn to in times where you need to talk to someone, pray with someone? What do you do in your stage of life? Like, who do you lean on in terms of, you're not married, you're single, you're mm-hmm. in a foreign country? Yeah, I uh, I have a few really close friends that are my people that I turn to when, I'm, when I am feeling either discouraged or frustrated or whatever, you know, any, <laughs> any emotional state I, mm-hmm. you know, I share with them and they share with me. Uh, so I'm very, very blessed that the Lord has put some incredible friendships into my life in, in Beirut. Cause I think it would be very easy for me to just feel yeah. perhaps lonely, but I I've never felt lonely, honestly. I, and also the staff, the YFC staff are just wonderful. And my boss, I consider him to be a mentor because mm. um, I think he's a tremendous leader and I, you know, I'm just observing the way that he is navigating some real, a really difficult landscape and, uh, yeah. He's really teaching me a lot of things. And so, um, yeah, if That's I were to awesome. say, like, I have a mentor, you, I think uh, it's him. And then I have you, some really close friendships. Do you hope to get married? Do you worry about where you might meet somebody? I mean, you're almost in your mid-30s. Yeah, I would say I am. I'm middle-aged. <laughs> I turned 35 <laughs> this year. Um, yes, that is a that is a constant, I would say, in my life. I feel like that is... Um, that's the only area of my life where the Lord hasn't brought an answer or a solution. And I don't know why, you know, and I have to kind of let go of the questions of asking why Lord, why Lord, why Lord. But um, I hope and pray that I will meet someone. And in the meantime, I just try to stay focused on thinking like all the things that I'm able to do now as an unmarried person just get up and go, follow the Lord wherever he wants to put me. Um, I mean, that is just a privilege, you know. And so whatever pain I feel about being single and maybe never being married, whatever pain I feel about that, it's still worth living for the Lord completely. Um, 
And so he's good. He's good. Regardless, he's good. (laughs) Right. You are the embodiment. I wrote a book, Thrive, obviously, you know, for singles. And you are the embodiment of of the person who's thriving in singleness. So, (laughs) But, but, you know, it's funny. People think if you wrote a book like that, that means you never question those things or why God and whatnot. And and there are seasons where it might be less or more. Honesty of, I mean, this is real life. Like you don't stop questioning and wondering, but you're living in a daily surrender, basically, to what God has you doing right now. Yeah, I think it's a daily mental discipline because I don't find the pain plateaus. It doesn't. I think yeah. it just gets harder. <laughs> You're right. I was thinking about that this weekend. I almost tweeted something about that. And then I thought, no, that sounds too depressing. But sometimes I feel the longer I'm single, not the more I want to be married, but the more those milestones that people are crossing. Yeah. Now, all my classmates' kids are graduating in the last couple of years. And and so to watch that, now their kids are getting married. And, and you start kind of going, oh my gosh, like, what have I done with my yeah. life? Like. You're blinded to all these things that maybe are happening, but, but, you know, in a sense, you're like, but what does that matter? I don't really, you know, and a lot of it is, is I get it. Like you said, lost in mental space, but I appreciate the honesty of that, that you're saying, which is, it doesn't get easier, but you just have to cast down every thought to the obedience of Christ daily. Yeah. It's a mental exercise, but you know what? It's just, there's so much joy in it, you know, and pain and joy can coexist. Like that's. Well, I agree. And it is not just to, like to be like, oh, this whole podcast, let's end up on a hopeful note, but it's the truth, right? It's I mean, you could, true. I leave sincerely stand today. by that, but it's true. Yeah. You could come to the US. I mean, no one's stopping you. You could get a job and, and join an eHarmony and meet somebody. And <laughs> yeah. you could be married this time next year. I get it. And so, but you're not choosing that. And why is that? It's because I think that I would just be creating something out of my own strength. And I have told the Lord that I don't want to do that. Um, I want to trust him because I need to, (laughs) you know, Um, I'm in just a place of complete dependence on him. And I, and it's just choosing to stay vulnerable in that position, you know? And there is a, I think, I mean, an intimacy and a joy that I think is meant to be all fulfilling, which I think, having met you a few times and, and watched you, I think you clearly have. And so, uh, but it, like you said, that doesn't mean that you don't, I mean, I think it's not like some Pollyanna Christianity. It's just, no, that, just uh, it's not Pollyanna, know. but that that's where the free, the true freedom lies. And I sincerely believe that as the true freedom lies in complete surrender and dependence upon the Lord and allowing him to direct your steps. Um, right. doesn't mean that pain goes away. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get into a sad headspace once in a while, but that is where true freedom is. And if I do, you read a lot, do you have a favorite book? Something that you've read that in- impacted you that you want to share with the listeners? Ooh, uh, I have a lot of favorite books. This is um, off topic from what we've talked about today, but one of um, my favorite books that I've read recently is Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. I found that to be sure. very challenging. A really needed wake up call to like, what are we even doing? <laughs> you know, um, as believers, as church movements, you know, we need to rethink: Are we really doing church the way that God has intended, or not? So, yeah, that was a thought provoking book, and I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I love. I started reading it. I haven't finished it. That's an encouragement to me to go back and finish it. Uh, when you were talking about surrender, remind me of Elizabeth Elliot. I think she's written. I don't know so many books, but in one of her books, "Surrender is the Pathway to Joy." Mm. That might even be the title of her uh, of one of her books. But you are sort of like a modern day, you know, Elizabeth Elliot, mm. Amy Collins. Wow. <laughs> I do. I think, I and I, <laughs> but thank you. I, I, I really encourage you to continue on. I love, I love coming to Lebanon, knowing that I can visit with yes. you um, there. And um, 
tell us how people can connect with you, support you, pray for you. Do you have a letter you send them? The missionary letter? Yeah, so guys- I write a newsletter at the beginning of each month that I send out to my mailing list. So if you're interested in just knowing more about what I'm doing or what YFC is doing, um, feel free to email me. I mean, I can just give you my email address. It's um, A-N-N-I-K-A-G-R-E-C-O. That's Annika Greco at gmail.com. I will put that through in the notes too. And uh, of course, your name will be at, oh, on the top of the yeah. podcast. So just, just email me. I'm very happy to talk more, give you more information. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you've got any cool pictures or videos to share with whoever is interested. We, I, we, I mean, you don't need to be a genius to know that I could talk about refugees all day. <laughs> I love the work that's happening in Lebanon. Yeah, and, well, and you've really got some teams over in the past. It's done great work, great work. Yeah, we do. We still are ongoing and it's growing. And uh, and we, so I'm super excited about what's happening in your ministry and what you're doing, what God's doing in your life. And I pray that you will continue to spread this hope. Download our app. Hey, we've got so many free resources for you. Summer is upon us. You're going out for a walk, on a run. You can do five-minute studies, three-minute studies, an hour studies, you name it. We've got it. I'm wrapping up things here. So have an awesome day and I'll see you guys next week. Uh, be blessed.